I don't know about you, but I don't like taking tests. Never have, never will. But they're actually useful to us. They're actually good. They can help us know where we stand and where we currently are, whether it is academically or spiritually. Welcome to Rise and Shine, the weekly podcast where we take bite-sized portions of the scriptures and examine what God is saying to us, make some practical and relevant applications to our lives, and if we do it right, it will help us to become better people. Today, I want to look at Matthew chapter 4 and the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. But let's not think of it as being tempted to do something wicked or sinful, per se. Think of it as being tried. It's an exam. Being proven. Seeing where you stand. We notice, as we read through Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, that it reads this way. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he fasted for forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then... The devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here's what I want to notice about this temptation or this trial. We note, first of all, that it happened immediately. The trial begins immediately after the baptism of Jesus. Jesus had come to the river Jordan, and there he asked John to baptize him for a couple of reasons. From Matthew 21, verse 23 through 25, we find there that Jesus says it was a command of heaven. When he actually talks to John about being baptized, he says in Matthew 3, and verse 15, it's to fulfill all righteousness. And so, the baptism is a beginning point. For Jesus... It was a beginning point of his public ministry. For Jesus, it was not for the remission of sins because Jesus had no sin. It rather was the beginning 
of his ministry that culminated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, at which point he had all power and authority over heaven and earth, Matthew 28, verse 18. It was the culmination of the plan of salvation for God to bring Jesus, to accomplish in Jesus, to fix and to mend a world that is broken and steeped in sin, to make these folks who are dead in their sins and trespasses alive, new creatures with a new life in Christ. Baptism was a beginning point for Jesus and His public ministry. Baptism for you and I is actually a new birth where we choose Jesus over the world, where we of our own volition choose to turn from sin and Satan and death. And we turn to Jesus in life, a life that is more abundant, that is filled with the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, and peace, that is filled with the hope of life eternal. A transformation from death to life, a new creature in Christ. It was at this baptism of Jesus that the Bible teaches us that it's immediately after this baptism, when He's declared the Son of God, that the Spirit led Him into the wilderness for the express purpose of being tempted, actually tried, proven. And this isn't anything new. This is something that God allows. And Jesus is teaching us something here, that He wasn't exempt from this. He's actually the blueprint for this. But God tempting His people or testing His people, not so God would know, but so that those people would know. Yeah, testing was brought into their lives for a reason. In Genesis 22, the Bible explicitly says, and it came to pass, and God tried Abraham. That time he was supposed to offer Isaac. Well, that Abraham that we're introduced to in, in Genesis 11 and 12 is a far cry from the Abraham we know in Genesis 22. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, there are ups and downs. There are peaks of mountains and deep, deep, dark valleys. There are trials and exams along the way. By the time we get to Genesis 22, Abraham has that unconditional faith. Lord, you've asked me to do something. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to do it. All along the way, Abraham is tried just like you and I. It's to help us to grow just as it did Abraham. In the Mosaical period of time, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, listen to these words from Moses to the Israelites before they entered into the Promised Land. Moses said, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Now listen, to humble you and test you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. 
That's the reason. It was to humble and to try, to prove, to test you, to know what's in your hearts, whether you would keep the commandments or not. Testing can be good. Jesus did it to his disciples in John chapter 6 in the feeding of the 5,000. He saw this multitude of people. He knew the resources were small. And yet he asked his disciples to feed them. And the Bible explicitly says in John 6, verse 6, This he said, why? To test him. For Jesus himself knew what he was going to do. And so you see, this is not a temptation to sin per se, but a trying of the faith, and it's nothing new. What Jesus is going through in Matthew 4 is nothing new. It's, it's what we do. It's what God does. He allows these trials and tests to allow us to see where we are, to try our hearts, whether we will keep the commandments of God or not. Now, let's notice a couple things about the actual temptation. Two times, Satan starts off with this phrase, If you are the Son of God, this is important for us. Because the same attack happens to us. It's an attack on our, on our identity. He says, if. Not sense, but rather to cause doubt. If you are the Son of God. What are the sons of God? What are the children of God but offspring? And so what is he attacking but identity? What is he really saying? Here it is. If you are the Son of God, then why is your so-called loving Father isolating you out here in the wilderness out here in the middle of nowhere, he's not feeding you. For 40 days you have been without food. Just look at where you are. Just look at what's happening to you. How can you say that God is your Father? How can you say that God is loving? Look at you. These same attacks still happen to you and I. The world may look at bad circumstances and say, where is a loving God? I thought, I thought God was all-powerful. I thought God was all-loving. And if He can see this and not do anything about it, what is His problem? This doesn't look like love to me. But the point that's being made is that bad circumstances will not and cannot and do not determine my joy, my peace. Nor does it determine if God loves me or not. I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, where the Bible reads, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? What about persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Nah. As it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. I am persuaded, Paul goes on to say in verse 38. I am convinced 
that neither death or life, angels or principalities, powers or things present or things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing shall be able, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our bad circumstances do not determine the joy that I have, the peace that I have, nor does it determine if God loves me or not. It is not the determining factor. Life is going to be filled with tragedy and difficulty and sorrow. I believe it was Job in Job 14.1, I believe. He said, man is but few days and filled with trouble. Just a few days on this earth, whether it's 80 or 100 years or whatever it is, it's a few days. And most of that time is filled with sorrow, tragedy, difficulty, darkness surrounding us. I believe it was Moses in Psalm 90, verse 10 through 12, where he reminds us there we get 70 or 80 years and what? It is filled with toil and sorrow. It's just a part of life. That doesn't mean God has separated Himself from us. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. Again, I remind you of what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, in verse 18, where Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Life is going to be short, but it's going to be filled with toil and trouble. And just because bad things happen to good people, that does not mean that God has separated Himself from us. It does not mean that God hates us. What Jesus is actually teaching in us in this is that He, regardless of His circumstance, will trust and love and be loyal to the Father regardless of His circumstance. And thus, the lesson for you and I, regardless of our circumstance, we will trust and love and be loyal to God. And so that's the first thing I want us to notice because that's what's most frequently under attack. If you're the Son of God and He is so loving, then why are bad things happening? It doesn't determine our joy, our peace, or God's love for me. second thing I want to notice is that Satan uses, or should I say misuses and abuses, Scripture. Takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down because the Scriptures say God will command His angels to catch you before you hit the stone. That's Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. Satan actually knows and uses Scripture, but he twists it just as he did in the garden, just as he does today with so-called preachers who may even wear the name of Christ, but with fair words and smooth speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. This is how Satan works. He'll take some Scripture and twist it. But Jesus answers him, We're not here to tempt God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. We are not to test our God. 
You see, God is not a genie in a bottle here to grant us our every wish and to make sure that our life is comfortable. Jesus is teaching us that we are not to test our God's love for us, nor do we put God into our service as if a a genie or a servant to give us our wants and making our lives comfortable. No, Jesus suffered and we will too. Circumstances is not to determine whether we love God and are going to be loyal to God. So we are not to test Him. Say, God, if you really love us, then make my life comfortable. That's not how this works. I am faithful when things are going well, and I am faithful when I am in the valleys and the darkness of life. Third thing I want to notice in the temptation. Satan then takes Jesus and shows him all the kingdoms and their glory, and he says, I'll give them all to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Bow down and worship me. Well, first of all, Satan is the father of all lies. And as I understand, God is the creator of this world, Genesis chapter 1. And as I understand Psalm 24 and verse 1, this earth and world and everything in it and the inhabitants all belong to the Father in the first place. And so they're not Satan's to give anyway. But there's something else. Jesus is coming to reign. This whole book of Matthew was this Jewish guy writing to a Jewish audience about the king of the Jews who will reign on David's throne over his kingdom. But in order to reign, he has to come and defeat sin and death and hell And the only way to do that is through the cross. And so the temptation here is a temptation that comes to all of us at some point in our lives. Satan is offering him a shortcut. This trial and temptation here is Satan offering Jesus a shortcut to the top. You can rule and reign over the kingdoms now, instead of having to deal with the mess and the tragedies of life and the tragic and agonizing death of the cross and the utter humiliation that you'll have to go through to get there. I can offer it to you now. Well, life is difficult. Life is unfair. Life is stressful and filled with tragedy and suffering. And there are no shortcuts. There is no cutting corners. We all have to face our fears, our trials, and suffer along the way, knowing that the grace of God is with us. And will walk through us, and we will come through it victorious to eternal life. And so, there was the temptation, the attack on identity. The attack on shortcuts. The attack on trying to get to the top without having to work for it. Third thing I want to notice in this text, or actually should I say the application. The testing of our faith can actually be a good thing. It can actually be a good thing. It can help us. There's three things. First of all, the testing of our faith 
can burn off the impurities of doubt and apathy and ignorance. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says to his readers in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's it. Our faith is much more precious and all the gold in the world that's going to perish and be meaningless in the next life. Though our faith is tested by fire, it is then to be found to the praise, honor, and glory of God. That's why it's tested. It, that's why it's sent through the fiery trials, to burn off the impurities of doubt and apathy and ignorance. Another thing, Psalm 119, verse 67, David writes, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And so the fiery trials and afflictions and sufferings of life can actually be good to draw us closer to God. When we're comfortable and feel self-sufficient, that's when we begin to wander from God. David admits that. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. The affliction brought him back to God. The suffering brought him back to God. It can be a good thing. Burns off impurities, draws us close to God. And number three, it can fill us with wisdom and bring us to maturity. James tells us in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be mature, that you can come to completeness, that you will be lacking nothing. To paraphrase verse 4 of James 1, testing is good. It can fill us with wisdom and bring us to maturity, burn off the impurities of doubt, apathy, and ignorance, and draw us closer to God. And so, as we bring this episode to a close, we looked at the temptation of Jesus. And it's not about being tempted to do evil and wickedness and sin, per se. It's about the trial of faith and how to endure and overcome those trials. He understands. Jesus understands what it's like to be tried. He went through it. He set the example for us. He succeeded at it. The trial of our faith is to our benefit because it can help us to grow. It can help us to know where our loyalties lie. It can help us understand and take a, a test and know where our spiritual lives are to grow to spiritual maturity and wisdom, and complete us, and leave us wanting and lacking nothing. Testing is good. It can help us to grow and to know. And 
So that's it for now, my friends. Remember, please subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, my friends. Until next time. Thank you.